Our passage of scripture today is going to be Psalm 100. It will be up on the screen, but I want to invite you as well to turn your Bibles and follow along as we read today. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. There was a PCUSA conference held many years ago in Omaha, and attendees there were given helium-filled balloons, and they were told that sometime throughout the service, sometime throughout the talk, sometime throughout the conference, they were to release those balloons when their hearts felt like expressing joy. Now, these were Presbyterians, and yes, they were USA, okay? Not as good as us, PCA, right? <laughs> but they were still Presbyterians. And so you can imagine this awkwardness of this experience. They have these balloons in their hand, and, and by the end of the conference, one-third of the balloons were firmly in their grasp. And all the others floated and dangled around. Now, in my eyes, that's sort of a silly thing to do at a conference, right? We, we have the name The Frozen Chosen for a reason, right? Even the PCUSA. And it's a silly thing to do, but there's an important takeaway there. And, and the takeaway, I think, is that Christians, who should be the most joyous of all people really have a joy problem. We really have a problem expressing and experiencing the joy that we profess. And the main problem, of course, is that we're sinners. We know that. Presbyterians, we really know that. We know that we're sinners. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says that we are dead in our sins. It's also not easy to wake up in the morning and be joyful. Anybody today was that, you know, the rain was coming down, and it's, it's hard to wake up, it's hard to go to work, it's hard to take the kids to sports, it's hard to clean the house, interact with other humans, visit the doctor again, get bad news again, live in our aging bodies, rinse and repeat day after day after day. It's hard to be joyful as a sinner in a sin-filled well, world filled with sinners. This is why the psalmist, in Psalm 51.12, he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation, implying at some point he lost it. I need the joy restored because, because I woke up, and the world was joyless, and I lived in it. Restore it to me, Lord. Restore the joy of your salvation. Looking at the balloon illustration in another light, our joy balloons can, can be with us one moment, firmly in our grasp, and before we know it, we're like little kids, and we, ah, and it's gone. And we've been soured by the world, and it's floating off, or it's been popped by the sharpness of sin. It's been popped by Black Friday, and somebody knocking into us, and there goes our joy. Our joy balloons get popped by this world, and so we need them refilled. We need them restored. We need God to give us spiritual Hardness of joy to resist the spikes of sin. But why do we need to express joy? Why do we have to be joyful at all? Who cares whether I'm joyful or not? I'm going to fake it. I'm going to just fake it and then that will appease everyone, right? And then deep down inside, I'm going to be a Christian Eeyore. 
and everything is awful and everything is bad, and as long as I just do that alone, it'll be okay. Well, we need to be joyful, and we need to express that joy because God commands us to be joyful. And everything that God commands is good. And so if God commands us to be joyful, there must be a good reason for it. Just as they will know we are Christians by our love, they will also know we are children of the King by the smiles on our faces. And the bounce in our step. And the merriment that comes with being a follower of Christ. David Mathis of Desiring God, he puts it this way. He says, our Heavenly Father is not indifferent to our happiness. Joy is not a garnish on a dutiful entree of the Christian life. Joy is not the icing on our cake, but an essential ingredient in a complex batter. Listen to what God says in the Old Testament. He says, let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Psalm 149.2. Let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. Psalm 14.7. Rejoice in the Lord. Psalm 97.12. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Psalm 32.11. And this is literally hundreds. Hundreds of, of, of verses commanding us to be joyous. And you wouldn't think it would even have to be commanded. Well, just be happy. Right? Has your mom ever told you that? Be happy. Be happy. You're going to go and be happy. Right? God commands us to be joyful. Beyond just Israel, God commands all nations to rejoice in their maker. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. That's Psalm 67.4. He even commands the natural world. His own, you know, trees and animals, all these things. He commands the natural world to join the joy. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. That's Psalm 96.11. The trees and the rivers were told, clap their hands. And if we will keep silent, then the rocks will cry out. And so all of creation is supposed to be joyful. We're supposed to be happy. In the New Testament, Jesus doesn't change his tune. He, he's known as the man of sorrows. And yet listen to what Jesus says. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Matthew 5.12. Leap for joy. Luke 6.23. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Luke 10, 20. We have so much to be joyful about. And all of these commands from God to be joyful and happy should themselves be cause for great joy. St. Augustine famously wrote, O God, grant what thou commandest, and command what thou dost desire. And this is what it means. It means God will never command something of us that he will not give the grace for us to complete. And so if God commands joy, then that means joy is possible. And maybe coming off of Thanksgiving, some of you needed to hear that. Joy is a real possibility for you today. Despite your sufferings, despite illnesses, joy is possible because God has commanded us to do so. He will give us the grace to be joyful. If your natural response to everything I just said is, I've tried I've tried to be happy. I've tried to be joyful. I just can't. You're, you're right. You're correct. You alone, myself alone, I can't do it. You can't do it. You can mask it. You can fake it. It won't be genuine. I've done it many times in my life. I've masked it. I've faked it. I've smiled just because I had to. But we will live in joyless disobedience. We will, we will pretend to be Christians 
as we worship a happy God while we're Christian yours. Well, Jesus gives us hope in Matthew 19, 26. He says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So here's my aim today with Psalm 100. My aim today is to try to persuade you. I just want to persuade you with God's help to suspend your disbelief. I want you to instead, by God's grace, believe that joy could be possible for your life. I want you to know that God can and will grant you true and lasting joy in suffering, in triumph, day to day. He will give you the joy needed to get through it. Joy is not only possible, it's attainable through Christ. And my prayer is that God would, would take our hearts which are so soaked in sin, so soaked in sorrow and disobedience, and he would just wring it out. And he would just instead dip it in his grace and his mercy and fill us up. Restore to us, Lord, the joy of your salvation. So the question then is, how do we get it? If joy is possible, how do we obtain it? Our passage today, Psalm 100, is going to act as God's recipe for everlasting joy in our lives. And I chose a food theme because I love food and because I just came off of Thanksgiving and I still am thinking about food and I just, you know. So it's a food theme. I've chosen to split it up into four points and it's gonna help us bake a joy cake, all right? It's gonna we're bake a joy cake together. Here's the outline for note takers, all right? The first point is a life of worship is the recipe for everlasting joy. The second point is finding our identity in Christ is the key ingredient for everlasting joy. A life of giving thanks is the proper temperature for everlasting joy. And finally, God's never-ending love for his people is the feasting and savoring and consummation of everlasting joy. So with the outline in place, here we go, verses 1 and 2. If you'd follow along with me, it'll be very helpful. In verses 1 and 2, we have our beginning instructions for our recipe. If we want to have everlasting joy, then the first instruction God gives us is to live a life of worship and praise. Listen to, to verses 1 and 2. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. God has gifted all of creation with a remarkable gift of song. Whether you're a singer or not, I'm sure you appreciate music in some facet. It is absolutely amazing what music can do to our souls. And so God has given us this gift of song, and the treasure of music is something we should value and cherish and use for the glory and praise and honor of the giver. So here and elsewhere, we're instructed to make a joyful noise to the Lord. Now, I've heard jokes where people are like, oh, I'm not a good singer, so I can't make a joyful noise to the Lord. Well, that's, that's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. Right? A joyful noise is, could be a shout, a shout of praise. It could be a battle cry. Uh, the name of Jesus cried out in your time of need, or, your, or a song of thanks. And not just us, but all the earth is brought into this joyous song that we're supposed to be taking part of. A huge part of evangelism is simply to make more worshipers, more singers, more joy-filled merrymakers. But we won't win anyone over if we are joyless, frowning, fretful followers. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. He says, our happy God should be worshipped by a happy people. 
A cheerful spirit is in keeping with his nature, his acts, and the gratitude which we should cherish for his mercies. I, I know this wonderful Christian woman from another church who is on the prayer team. She's a prayer warrior. She is there. If you need her for anything, she would give you the shirt off her back. And yet, if you looked at her, you thought she, you'd think she was just the most joyless individual of all time. She just walks around. Right? I mean, you just look at this woman and you think, what is wrong with her? And then you talk with her and you know her and you go, this woman is filled with the Holy Spirit. What is, she loves the Lord. She loves, what is wrong with her face? So you're, if your heart is bursting with joy, let it show. Let it trickle out on your face. Smile. Clap your hands if you're happy and you know it. And the Lord, clap your hands. Pastor Ray Orland says this about our praise to God. He says, a spirit of praise strengthens us to keep going and keep going. And keep going with a sparkle in our eyes, a spring in our step, and some steel in our spine. As such, that a spirit of praise in this world of anger and despair will always be prophetic until Christ returns. If you want to make a difference in your life, this is the heart of it. That's the heart of it. A spirit of worship and praise in the face of trials, in the face of triumph, in the face of everything. A heart, a heart that is so aimed with joy at God, that you have a smile on your face. You have a smile on your face. Not always. But let the joy trickle up. The second thing to see here is that we're not only to make a joyful noise, but we are to serve and worship with joy. It says, serve the Lord with gladness. And the word serve there is interchangeable, really, with the word worship. Worship the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. And that's because service and worship are really married together in the Christian life. Service is an act of worship. Worship is, can be a service to God. And so he says, serve the Lord with gladness. And just coming off Thanksgiving, I want you to imagine this. If the person who hosted this year went about moping and complaining, yeah, here you go, here's the food, okay, oh, let me get another drink, all right, I'll fill that up. You know, how, how, how would that be? Would that be a very thankful holiday for you? Well, maybe that actually happened. And maybe that was actually you and maybe actually you were the host and you, that was you the whole time, complaining and moping. And... What, if, what if you came to the Lord like that? Like the older son, begrudging the service, begrudging the work. No joy in your heart. Instead, I want you to imagine the impact you could have on the person sitting next to you if you, if you greeted them with a joyful smile and said, how are you doing? How can I pray for you today? What if you were in the car and instead of fighting on the way to sports or instead of fighting on the way to work or instead of fighting on the way to church, what if you turned the music loud and you and your wife sang praises to the Lord as loud as you could and the kids were in the back and they just heard it? What if you went to work and you know your, your co-worker, your person in the cubicle over or the person working next to you, you know they had a rough day and you, you brought them a gift. You said, I just wanted you to know I saw what happened. I want you to know I prayed for you last night. I want, I, want you, I want you to know that I'm here for you. The joy, the cheer. Think of what you could do if, if you let God just work on your heart like that. God will sanctify, chip away the Eeyore hearts as we seek and serve to love him and his people. Finally, we're invited to come into his presence with singing. 
We are invited by the King of all creation to come into his presence with singing. Here's, did you know that when you walked through those doors today, you came into the New Jerusalem? As you sit there right now, you are transported into the presence of King Jesus. And not only are you transported into the presence of the King of Kings, but Jesus is here with us right now. And as we sing praises to the Father, he stands in the aisle. He stands up here as our true worship leader. And he guides us. He guides us in worship. The invitation itself to come into God's presence is only possible because of him. It's only possible because of Jesus. And so as he sings his melody out, as he sings his melody out of love and praise and worship, we harmonize with his beautiful song. And the Father receives it. And the Bible tells us in Zephaniah 3.17, he says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. So we sing only because we can come through Jesus Christ. And we sing our praises to the Father, and the Father receives it and sings back over us in this joyous harmonization, this joyous song and dance and praise of God's people coming together for corporate worship. Did you know that? Did you know you were doing that, taking part in that? Which leads me to my second point, finding our identity in Christ in Jesus is the key ingredient of our everlasting joy cake. Verse 3, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. In order to know who we truly are, we first need to know who God is. We must know that God is God alone. We must acknowledge him as such. He's the only recipient worthy of glory and honor and praise. Paul diagnoses the problem of man's heart and the problem of the world in Romans chapter 1, 21. He says this, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Do you see, this is the source of all evil and misery in the world, and it's simply the lack of a thankful, joyous heart towards God. We think, when we think of sin, we think of all the big ones. We think of all the you know, murder and all the adultery. We think of all the big ones. But it all starts so simply. It all starts with a heart that fails to acknowledge God. It all starts with a heart that fails to thank Him. That fails to give Him glory and honor and praise. That's as simple as it is. So if we want to be happy in life, we have to be happy in Christ. It is He who made us. We are His. Before the foundation of the world, we were elected to be His. God has made an everlasting covenant with us. He's adopted us. He sanctifies us. He has once and for all justified us through the blood of his son, Jesus. We are his, and he is ours. And nothing, and I do mean nothing, can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. When that is your reality, when you wake up each day and that is your reality, you will walk out the door with joy in your heart that this world will be unable to shake. Spurgeon, again, beautifully puts it this way. He says, The avowal of our relationship to God is in itself praise. 
When we, re- we recount his goodness, we are rendering to him the best adoration. Our songs require none of the inviction, inventions of fictions. The bare facts are enough. The simple narration of the mercies of the Lord is more astonishing than the productions of our imaginations. That we are his sheep of his pasture, the plain truth. And at the same time, the very essence of poetry. We are his sheep. He is our shepherd. Let it sink in. We are his people. He is our God. We are his children. He is our father. Knowing that, remembering that, that's your identity. Finding your identity in that is the, in the truth is the key ingredient for your joy. Let's put it in the oven. Let's put it in the oven. Third point. A life of giving thanks is the proper temperature for everlasting joy. Verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Growing up, I remember every year at Christmas and birthdays, I would, you know, before I opened presents, my parents would give me the rundown. And they'd go, okay, when you open so-and-so, you're going to go give a hug, you're going to give thanks, you're going to, you know, at each present, I could go, and they gave me the instruction. Oh, no, okay, no, no, no. And I had to be instructed how to give thanks. And the reason I had to be instructed is because my heart is not thankful. Kids don't have to be taught how to be selfish. Kids don't have to be taught how to not give thanks. They have to be taught to give thanks. Again, Romans 1, we have failed to honor God. We have failed to give him thanks. And so we have to be taught to do so. I think John Piper puts it most simply when he says this. He says that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. To put it another way, my wife is most loved by me when I am most satisfied in her. The greatest praise we ever bestowed upon each other was at the altar. When we both looked at each other, we looked at all our friends and family, and we said, I do. I do. Because what we are saying is, you complete me. You're the one, you're the one I want to live the rest of my life with. Out of all the millions of people on this earth, you're the one I want to praise. You're the one I want to adore for the rest of my life. I want to dote on you. I want to rave about you. And I want to do it for everybody. I do. I want to cherish you as long as I both still live. So when we come to those doors, we have entered into God's courts with praise and joy and worship. And we're saying, you are my delight. Lord, you are my delight. You are the only true God. Out of all the false gods, you are the one. I do. You alone will I honor and love and cherish for all of eternity. When we delight in God, he gets all the glory. You're never in danger of praising Jesus too much. You will never be in danger of praising Jesus too much. You can never make too much of his name. This is what missions is all about. Going to the nations is saying, come and see our God. Come and see what joy he has given us. Come and see what Jesus has done in our lives. Would you you come and see the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? C.S. Lewis writes, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise is not merely expressing but completing the joy. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it's expressed. You are gorgeous. Wow, you look great tonight. It comes out, you don't even know you're saying it. 
I'm sorry, I have that pain is. When, when you want to praise something, when you, when you are overjoyed with something, you just say it. You just clap. You just cheer. Praise to God, thankfulness to God, then is therefore the consummation of our joy. Joy is not fully tasted. It's not fully enjoyed until our delight and thankfulness to God is fully cooked. And for it to be fully cooked, it has to have a burning desire of seeing Jesus magnified. If we want to have joy in our lives, we have to have a heart that burns for Him. And in so doing, we will, we will stare at Him and we will praise and we will be overflowed. We can't, we can't help but sin. We couldn't help, we couldn't keep the smile off our faces. Spurgeon, again, is helpful when he says, So long as we are receivers of God's mercy, we must be givers of thanks. Mercy permits us to enter his gates. Let us praise that mercy. What better subject for our thoughts in God's own house than the Lord of the house? Into whatever court of the Lord you may enter, let your admission be the subject of praise. Thanks be to God. The innermost court is now open to believers. We enter into that which is within the veil. It is incumbent upon us that we acknowledge the high privilege by our songs. Be thankful unto him. So if you want fully big joy, not half big joy, then God must be your delight. Love for Jesus must replace love for sin. Love for Jesus must replace love for the things of this world. Love for Jesus must replace love for yourself. God's most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Finally, finally it's time to eat the joy cake. I've, I've taken it all the way here, okay? We've taken the metaphor here. It's time to eat the joy cake. God's never-ending love for his people is the feasting and the savoring and the completion of our everlasting joy. Verse 5, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. What does it mean that the Lord is good? Well, goodness is a part of God's very nature. He cannot contradict his nature. That means that God is the standard for all that is good. And he always does what is right. And his plans always work together for good. His goodness extends from his nature to every aspect of every single thing he does. God's goodness is showcased in the law that he gives to Israel. The law is holy and righteous and good. That's Romans 7.12. Every good and perfect gift is from above. That's James 1.17. And we know as believers that his ultimate display of goodness was made manifest on the cross. Jesus, God made flesh, suffered the wrath of sinners once and for all. And the plan of redemption from eternity past, fulfilled through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because of God's goodness, in the past, present, and future, we're now to give thanks to the Lord. For he is good. And his love endures forever. Psalm 107, 1. If you'll indulge me, one last Spurgeon quote. He says this, Towards his own people, mercy is still more conspicuously displayed. It has been theirs from all eternity and shall be theirs world without end. Everlasting mercy is a glorious theme for sacred song and his truth endureth to all generations. No fickle being is he. Promising and forgetting, he has entered into covenant with his people, and he will never revoke it. 
nor alter the thing that has gone out of his lips. As our fathers found him faithful, so will our sons and their seed forever. As my grandfather found my sweet Jesus faithful, as my own father has found my sweet Jesus faithful, I have too, and I pray that my dear Ridley and my dear Thaddeus will know him and will find him just as faithful as we have. And not just them, their children. And their children's children. He will remain the same forever. What a comfort. What a joy that is in my heart. Knowing that long after I'm gone, all the foolish things I've said, all the stupid things I've done, it doesn't matter. Because he is faithful. Not because my steadfast love endures forever. That's not what it says. Not because my faithfulness endures forever, but because we worship a God who does not change, does not lie, and is altogether holy and good. Finally, because, because God is righteous, because he is good, he's not indifferent to his own glory. David Mathis again writes, The good news for those of us laying claim on the blood and righteousness of his son Jesus is that he's not indifferent to our joy. Not the thin, frivolous, empty joy, these mere external circumstances in a fallen world. Not the frivolous kind of joy, but thick, substantive, rich, juicy joy. Deeper and wider than anything you can possibly imagine. In Christ, not only is God no longer against us in his omnipotent wrath, but he's for us. He's not against us, he's for us. He invites us to come. He is for our deep and enduring joy in his and all and all his omnipotent love. His promise through Jeremiah comes to us in Christ. Listen to Jeremiah 32:41. I will rejoice in doing them good. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and with all my soul. Our joy will not be perfect in this life. We will always strain and struggle. There will be angsts and anxieties, ups and downs and illnesses. And Yet here we have tastes. We have tastes of joy. Not only is indomitable joy coming, but even now we sample the sweetness of it. Especially, especially in our suffering. Especially in our suffering. And those who have suffered greatly know, can know that. That the sweetness and the joy that comes when Christ wraps his arms around you. And there's no explanation for why you're smiling in that situation. There's no explanation for the tears that are coming down your face as joy, as, as joy meets you in that situation through Jesus Christ. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. 1 Peter 1.8 It's good news. It's good news that joy is not optional in the Christian life because the final weight falls not on my weak back, not on your weak back, but on the almighty shoulders of God himself. Well, I want you to look here because the weight 
and the cost of our redemption is sitting on the table before us today. Jesus opened his veins to show us how much God loved us. He, his, his flesh was torn, his side was pierced, so that the veil of the temple might be rent, so that we might enter into his presence, not with sorrow, not mourning, not through a mediator, but to the presence of Jesus himself, we can come and rejoice. And so as you come, don't let it be somber today. This is a Thanksgiving feast with friends, <laughs> friends and family, at a Thanksgiving feast so we can sing joy to the world as we take as we partake, he has turned our mourning into dancing, our weeping into praise. He has made a life of endless joy possible. Praise be to God.